foot enthusiasts, minimal footwear lovers, or anyone trying to fix your own feet, I'm heading to North Carolina this May to lead a live, in-person, three-day retreat all about feet. I'm going to be at the Art of Living Retreat Center, which is up in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so beautiful there. And are you ready to hear what I'm calling it? The retreat is called Healing Your Soul, a stepwise approach to building forever functional feet. That's so good, right? If you want to learn all about how to take care of the muscles, bones, joints, fascia, and nerves of the feet, and learn how strong feet and ankles relate to sustainable hips and knees, this event is for you. In addition to the classroom and movement time with me, you're on retreat. So there's delicious meals, a nature-rich campus that you can explore on foot, and plenty of time for rest and relaxation, all included. A retreat is a perfect way to care for yourself in the moment, but also in the future. You are coming to learn a massive toolkit of information. So whether you're a competitive runner, a dynamic ager, or a healthcare practitioner, this is a weekend full of movement for you and your feet. And like I said, you're gonna leave with a toolkit and a big swag bag that you can use to train your feet for life. For more information about the movement sessions, the food, the center, head to my website, nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. That's nutritiousmovement.com slash retreat. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Hi there. Katie's on the road. She's on a mini world tour helping to certify restorative exercise specialists in different countries, and she's also promoting her book, Move Your DNA. So I thought I would play one of our first recordings for you. The sound quality is not that great, and there's, I'm sure, plenty of bloopers, including my chihuahua yapping in the background, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to play this for you. So thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to Katie Says, the podcast that helps you become aligned and well. Join us for conversations with Katie Bowman, biomechanist, creator and director of the Restorative Exercise Institute, author, teacher, blogger, mother, and total body nerd. Understand the mechanical causes of modern ailments, learn how to fix them, and restore yourself to a more functional state of natural human movement. We hope you find the general information on biomechanics, movement, and alignment informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and shouldn't be used as such. And now, your host, Danny Hammett. Hello, welcome to Talk the Walk. I'm your host, Danny Hammett, and Move Your Body Better. And today, Katie Bowman is going to help us dig through the mailbag. Katie, thanks for being here. Ooh, mailbag. You mean like the boy bag or the bag of letters? I mean the bag of letters. Oh, okay. And and it's a pretend bag of letters. It's an electronic bag of letters, but you know, email bag doesn't have the the same mouthfeel that mailbag does. So, no. Okay, and and mailbag. That's a whole different show, girl. 
That's a whole <laughs> we can do a show. whole show in the mailbag also this, if you this, want. This here's a family program. Okay. <laughs> there there would be no there would be no families without the mailbag, I'll you know, just say. There you go. And and it is it is Cremaster. Is that like Cremaster muscle? Mm-hmm. You know, I just I think that sounds like a nice dessert. It's just the nicest name <laughs> for a muscle. I think it sounds like a an appliance like the Cremaster 3000 <laughs> blending yeah. it up you know it, get, it, get my green smoothie out of the Cremaster 3000 yeah it is a tool for some for sure okay sure. all right so okay let's let's go into these questions I got a whole stack uh, you just want to dive in head first and see where we surface head first into the mailbag <laughs> into the mailbag put, sorry, your, sorry. put your Cremasters on okay <laughs> Okay, so this is a weird question. You may or may not know the answer to this, but somebody asked it, and I just thought, yeah, I want to know that too. What causes a joint to pop and crack? Oh, geez, I don't know. And and I tell you why I would love to know this, because I tell my own kid to stop cracking his knuckles simply because my mother told me. She said it would cause arthritis, and and that scared me straight. I quit. I quit popping my, my knuckles, but... I kind of wonder, am I telling him to stop this for no reason? Or do you, have, do you have any idea? Or do we have to go to a knuckle specialist to find this out? I would say that uh, people, I, people ask me this actually more often than not. There's different types of popping. There's different types of noises. I think that for the, the question that I get the most often would be about the hip. You know, a lot of people, <laughs> they do this. My sister does it too. She does this weird kind of arabesque thing and she'll kick her leg back like a donkey and it'll cause her hip to pop and she'll... She's like, I can't walk until I do that. And then after that, her back and, and hips are better. And then other people, as they're moving their hip, like in exercises, say you're laying on the floor and you're doing like a leg raise or something, they'll hear a, a popping or a cracking in the hip. And in that case, that's more of a snapping. So the snapping, I think, is more, I always want to say more better. It's more better understood, <laughs> mostly because I'm a wordsmith. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, the snapping of a tendon over a bony prominence in the bone can happen quite a little bit. So that's what's happening usually with that type of joint noise is when you've got a lot of, you either have too much tension in a in a tendon or the too, the too much tension in a tendon caused by too much tension in the muscle or the the position of the bone is such where the tendon is articulating over like your bones aren't super smooth they have these bumps and and lumps that we call bony prominences where sometimes those are inappropriately um positioned so that the tendon is articulating over them so that's that kind of snapping snapping hip is pretty common but when you're talking about in your fingers i mean i've always heard it explained as you're forcing air out of the joint but I don't know exactly how much air you have in the joint. I don't know if it causes arthritis. It's just one of those things where I don't know. I don't know how you would do research on it. And, yeah, maybe you should just go see a knuckle specialist. Yeah, or we could just call my mom, you know. Your mom. We should just ask your mom. <laughs> yeah. Your mom should be on the show. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So this is a question, actually, that a lot of people asked, and I'm curious, too, about this. And I hope it's not too big of a question for you. And if it is, just say so, and we'll throw it back in the mailbag and do it some other time. Scoliosis, what causes it? And is it reversible? Um, well, scoliosis is a an inappropriate curve in the spine. <clears throat> so you have natural curves in the spine, right? You've got the the lumbar curve and the thoracic curve, and then you've got the cervical curve. So there's there's these natural sw- these natural curves um, 
but scoliosis tends to be rotation. So the curves in your spine that are natural are in the forward, the front to back plane, the sagittal plane, meaning they're either curling forward or curling back. But scoliosis is in a curve to the right or to the left, or sometimes it can also be in the transverse plane, which means like if you twist your, if you, if you're sitting there right now, listening or standing right there, listening, hopefully I'm um, standing you, and stretching good. and Me stretching too. my calves. Ooh. <laughs> points. You're going for the points. Yep. So if you turn your chest, that would be a transverse rotation. So you've got either, if you have scoliosis, either your spine is bending to the right or to the left, or it's twisting, or it's doing a combination of both. And scoliosis can go anywhere from super mild to um, severe. Back in the day, they used to brace. It's it's more prevalent in, in women, in girls. It tends to come on around puberty the tendency tends to be curve on the left side or away away from the left side i mean the curve is pretty i wonder why that standard. is standard i have my theories but i don't i think we could do a whole entire show on scoliosis and i'd put them there okay we'll put a pin a, in that one then put a well don't put a pin in the scoliotic <laughs> curve you put a rod oh okay 50, we'll put a rod put in a rod. that one you would put a rod. We'll let's save put that. A pin. Let's put a pin in that mailbag. Oh, 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 oh that's oh, going to make you mighty unpopular there, lass. <laughs> that's right. All right. All right. Um, Back to the curves. But, but yeah, so it's got the curves. What causes it? It's idiopathic, um, meaning they don't know what causes it. Is it reversible? To a degree, corrective exercise is extremely important. And one thing I'd like to point out and probably – we could save the rest for a whole separate show on scoliosis is I do think that a lot of, a lot of people associate, I think it's overly diagnosed. I mean, I, I think that you can have, uh, it's just when you have curves and twists in your spine, it's just called scoliosis. It's not necessarily a disease. There's no markers for a disease of scoliosis. So we don't spend a lot of time doing very symmetrical things with our spine. And we also spend a lot of time not moving our spine. And then we also spend a lot of time in a repetitive positioning. So if you imagine a bunch of kids at a school desk writing with their right hand and how they've slumped over, it's not a huge wonder why a lot of people end up with a musculoskeletal patterning in their body of this spine going off to the side. You've trained your body to do so. So to that extent, is it reversible? Yes. I mean, you can, you can definitely reestablish mobility and strength patterns so that your muscles are able to hold your spine up. That's always my biggest point of contention with things like diagnosis like these is it's one thing to tell someone you have scoliosis. It's another thing to fail to mention that they've that it's a completely normal outcome for how they've used their body over a period of time. And if they want to get better, instead of just trying to treat the curve, they can look at their musculoskeletal habits. So that's what we do, right? As you know, of course, we look at how have you been using your body so that the curves and lumps and bumps that you're experiencing in your body are, of course, make total sense because that's how physiological adaptation works. Yeah. Do you, did they ever at your school when you were in grade school do the scoliosis test? Where yes. They, they would call you all out of your room down to the gym or the cafeteria. That had to be one of the most terrifying things of grade school aside from like trying to climb the rope. That was so scary to me. I was always so afraid that I would be the one they'd say, oh, scoliosis. <laughs> You're sorry. You gotta go. Yeah. 
I do remember you had to bend forward and the school nurse like, <laughs> or like highly trained in orthopedic assessment yeah. looked at you and says, yes, you have scoliosis now. We'll get a race. <laughs> and uh. A Judy Bloom book. I was a big Judy Bloom reader. Read, did you read Deanie? Yes. Oh, yeah. You remember when she was put in a back brace? And, yep. <laughs> and I, you know, I really want to bring that book out of the archives. And I think we should do a podcast on, on <laughs> the, that, uh, I don't even know how to say it. Like, I just remember reading it and feeling her dread. Like, not only am I a teenager, I am now a teenager in a brace underneath all of my clothes through high school and I'm broken and I'm different. And just relating to that because there isn't a teenager who doesn't feel like they're in some sort of metaphorical cast or brace that everyone is, is looking at. But, but now they've, of course, that was in the fifties. That was actually written in the fifties, I believe, or Judy Bloom might've been a little bit later, but those are, those are older books. They don't do that anymore because now they realize that what they used to do for scoliosis. And I've had a lot of clients who are in their sixties. And what they used to do is if you had that tendency for scoliosis, they would put a rod through all of your vertebrae, a surgical rod. And these women who come in and they've had a rod in their back since they've been teenage girls and the emotional trauma associated with it. And of course the rod didn't do anything because for some reason people don't understand physics well enough to know if you have a curve and muscles to not support it, if you put a rod fusing all the parts together, now you've got a greater leverage and a greater curve well, problem. I was going to say the rod did do something. It, it messed up their, their lever system bad, it very it bad. Yeah. And it just, and it didn't, it didn't help. And, and, um, I think that there should be a Dini support group. <laughs> and, but I've, I've got to work with some amazing women who have really reestablished. You talked about is scoliosis correctable. It's certainly fixable. I mean, it depends on what you mean by correct. Are you going to start your ballet dancing career with your perfect spine? No, but it does not have to be what it is. But yeah, everyone should go read Dini. Everyone who has a teenager or who is a teenager should go get that book because it immediately will put you back into your place of going, oh, I really didn't like being a 12 or 13 year old. But I want to say one more thing. Yes. In addition to the scoliosis test, we also got the lice test. Did you get the lice test where they would come in with sticks and put them through your hair if there was like a lice outbreak or was that just our school? Uh, it did not happen in our school. Where'd you go to school? Lewistown, Montana. That's oh, little, my- yeah. They, well, I, it's I mean, too cold here for lice. Little- I'll be perfectly honest. There's in Washington. When I lived in Washington, a, some kid constantly had lice in our school, in my kids' school. And, and I was always putting tea tree oil in their hair when they went to school every day to protect them, which it did work. But um, in Montana, I never knew one child that had lice. Not one. I got lice. I never had lice in high school. I, mean, I never had lice in elementary school, but I would love the test because it was basically like someone rubbing your head. <laughs> so I'd be like, I think my head's itchy. And then I'd go to the school nurse and let him give me a head massage with those little sticks, like pickup sticks. But I got lice in high- middle school. There was oh. a girl at a slumber party who had it and we all slept in a tent together. And then I went and was spending my summer in Oklahoma with my sister when we discovered that um, all to say I had it since I don't have her permission to say that she had it too. It was, it was, um, <laughs> sorry. Well, sorry. you know, and that, that just, there's your next million dollars because Judy Bloom never wrote a book. She wrote <laughs> about menstruation and she wrote about the scoliosis, but she never wrote a book about head lice in middle school. So I think right there, if you just decide to leave your field, 
<laughs> write that book and we'll call it Katie. That'll be it. So let's we'll call it Katie. It must be Katie. <laughs> she liked to read and she had head lies. You know. um, okay. But you're so much more than that to us. And you know that I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you've, well, you've probably been asked this, but I'm kind of curious about it from my own experience. A lot of people revisit their lifetime alignment issues, you know, that we're trying to change once we start the restorative exercise program they revisit those issues while they're sleeping at night, like forward thrusting head or rib thrusting. I've actually woken up thrusting my ribs um, because it felt so uncomfortable and I've worked so hard on on changing that, you know, curling their toes. Um, have you ever heard of, I mean, w- would those subconscious habits abate over time as a person continues to do their exercises and changes their daily habits while they're cognizant? Or is there a particular protocol that, that a person could follow to help tune into those very unhelpful nighttime habits? Is that a really long question? Yes. Okay. It was a really long question, but it was a good long, good and long question. Um, here's what I think is happening. When you correct your alignment throughout the day, um, you're, you're, you're forcing it, right? You're, you're consciously firing new patterns. It doesn't mean that your old patterns were turned off. So when you're dropping your ribs, you're, you're drop, you're pulling your ribs down a lot of times, but you haven't necessarily stopped the muscle firing that's holding them up. And so it's easy to correct and change your loads when you're, um, conscious or when you're consciously doing it, when you're firing, muscles. But as soon as you go to bed, all of your coping mechanisms are turned off. And so you go right back, like everything's just revealed. It's not that you're thrusting, you're not actively thrusting your ribs. You've been holding your body in that position for so long, your muscles have actually adapted to it. So it's the shortness or the length of your body that has adjusted. So I wrote a blog post, right, called Muscle Oversimplified, and people should go read that. Um, and we should link to it in the show notes to make it easier for them so that they know that when you've held your body in a one position for a long period of time, you've actually adjusted the mass of your muscles to make them physically longer or shorter. It's not that your muscles are just one length and that they're behaving as shorter or longer muscles. They are in fact shorter or longer Um, and so if you have some psoas tension or if you've been thrusting your ribs for a long time, your, your spinal extensors could be shorter and you can correct that in a day by firing muscles that pull the ribs down. Um, but you're not really releasing the other side. So when you go to bed, you're not revisiting anything as much as you're just not masking. You're not compensating. You're not, you're not firing a bunch of things. Um, so what I've tried to do, um, and it's, and it's been over a long period of time is, um, change the environment of where I sleep from the bed with a pillow to first without a pillow and then eventually to the floor so that the floor creates kind of an environment of traction, if you will, so that I can log some hours into the loads that restore my muscular length back to where it's supposed to be, the actual mass. You know, like if you're, if you're trying to fix, if you're a head thruster throughout the day, 
you know, you're looking at your computer or whatever you're doing. And then you go to bed and you put your head on a pillow. The pillow is an orthotic in a way that it continues the head thrusting position. So you can't, when you're at your computer, you can fix, I just, I just ramped up my head up. You know, you can slide your chin back and get some length in the back of your head. But as soon as you stop ramping up, where does your head go? It kind of goes back to where it was. Well, when you're sleeping with the pillow, you are in fact practicing your, your casting for six to eight hours, depending on how long you slept, um, yourself back in that position. So it's about slowly stripping away those devices that were part of, you know, one of the reasons you became a head thruster in the first place is because you're on a pillow, right? You were on a pillow as a kid way before you ever had a head thrusting problem, but we're kind of molded to our, our bedding, not the other way around. Your bedding is part of the problem. If that makes sense. Yeah. And you did a blog about pillow, um, you know, adapting to life without a pillow, didn't you? I did. That was yes. good. Yeah. How long did it take you to transition to a pillowless lifestyle? <laughs> um, it probably took me a year. It probably took me a year. And, and I, as I said in the post, I believe the post is called your pillow is not, not an orth, your pillow is an orthotic. It's not about taking a pillow and then getting rid of it. It's about looking at the height created by your pillow and slowly taking it down over time in the same way you don't go out to run, you know, 20 miles, you run a little bit and then you slowly get more adept. You, you bring your tissues along in terms of structural adaptation. You have to do the same thing. You're not fit enough to sleep without your pillow. You'll hurt yourself in the same way. If you try to go do a pull up right now, um, you know, you'll hurt yourself or you'll be unable to do it. Um, and so the same thing goes without a pillow. So just over a year, I think I brought down the height of my pillow. And then for a while I was sleeping on like a folded up t-shirt, but now I'm perfectly fine on my, I'm perfectly fine laying on my side, even with my head flexed all the way over to the ground. Cause that's a natural mobility. You know, we, we drop our ear to our shoulder in yoga class and it never occurs to us that that should be something that our <laughs> head does all of the time. And, and if you're dropping your ear to your shoulder, like it feels so good, this, you know, 47 seconds, I did it twice a week. <laughs> Imagine, you know, it's kind of like a natural restoration sleeping. And there's some really great research on all the ways that people sleep all over the world. And we are definitely outliers on our bed and pillows. It's not, it is not the normal human experience. It's just what we do. So do you, are you on the floor yet or with kids? Are you still in a bed? No, I'm, I'm on the floor and, um, I still co-sleep. Um, I'm with my daughter most of the time and she sleeps way better on the floor. So just, um, and that's not, you know, we don't sleep on tile. Although I did when, um, I was, went to Ventura to do a certification week for the restorative exercise specialist and the house we stayed in had a hardwood floor and a, and like a rug over it. And then what we do is we lay down just a couple blankets, a couple thin blankets or like a, a mattress, a mattress pad, um, you know, like the, um, oh, yeah. the yeah. cover that goes over the mattress is elastic. We'll just throw that down and I'll put down a couple blankets and a sheet and that with, with whatever I need on top to stay warm. And, um, that works great for me. I actually now feel really bad when I sleep on a, on a mattress with a pillow. I, the, the equivalent experience to how I feel after sleeping on a, on a cushy surface is probably similar to, similar to how people feel when they, um, sleep in a hotel bed or go camping, you know, when you're, when you abruptly meet something that's different than what your physiology is adapted for, I get headaches, I get neck pain the next day because 
instead of stretching and instead of, you know, the floor is kind of like massage, right? It's pressure. Mm -hmm. It's, it does the very thing you go to a body worker for push on the parts that hurt. So they stop hurting. I just do that eight hours a day for free. For free. They just work it into your schedule. You like how I just worked in and I sleep eight hours a night and I'm totally not sleeping eight hours a yeah, night. Yeah, I was going to I just, not not alignment related, but how, how what what on average do you sleep? Well, I, I try to, my, my in a most perfect world, my best sleeping is going to bed at nine or 9.30 and waking up about five. And that also works best for the my family because I can work from five to 7.30. I do a lot of my writing during that time. And I'm not cutting into anyone else's day. And as soon as um, in Washington, I'm pretty far up north. We get a lot of extra light. So I'll actually get an hour of movement into. I'll just do a little bit of writing and head out and go walk a few miles before anyone gets up, which I believe is the secret to the mother, which I never knew. You know, because I'm a new mom. I only have a, I have an almost three-year-old and a almost one and a half-year-old. And I've struggled, I would say, for the last year trying to figure out where is where, where, I mean, where's my life supposed to fit in <laughs> to my new life? Where's my old life supposed to fit into my new life? Slowly realizing that that doesn't happen. But I do realize um, that those early morning hours are great. But as my friend um, Penelope has said, going to bed early is sleeping in on the other side. And it's really hard to see going to bed early because, you know, your kids go to bed. You're like, oh, I haven't gotten to do anything by myself. Oh, yeah, and you so need to decompress and you read do. a book. And, yeah. And what I found I was doing, though, is almost falling asleep, putting them to sleep, and then getting up, dragging up, waking myself up, making some tea and having some snack to keep me awake so that I could watch, you know, I could decompress watching, you know, two or three episodes of West Wing, which is my crack. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like a total mind turn off. I love West Wing. And I would stretch, you know, I would do all my um, body work at night, but I just, I'm a, I'm a nightmare during that time. My mind doesn't work really after 4 PM. And so what I have just started doing is instead of waking myself back up, I go to bed with my kids. Um, and I don't need that last snack. I, I am not watching, you know, West Wing anymore, which is totally fine because, you know, crack is bad. And then, and then I get up at five and I have exactly what I'm looking for, which is two or three hours of uninterrupted time when I'm at my peak. And, and that, my husband's an Ayurvedic practitioner. And for my constitution, you know, for someone who is how I am, that time frame, according to him and, you know, 10,000 years, that is really the best operating period for my body. And my son is the same way. My daughter is not. She's like, she's like my husband where they would like to sleep in until like 8.30 and go to bed at 10.30. Interesting. Their minds work well at night. And Finn and I are like, good night. Weird. We turned off at 6.30. It's time for us to go to bed. Yep, I was always always did my college studying in the morning and my writing in the morning, just because I'm a. That's when my brain fires best too. So when when you go to bed, what's your bed schedule like? Uh, I go to bed at nine thirty or Ooh. ten, which is not you know I'd like to be a little bit, but I get up at five. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a kid that is just like me, so he gets up at five thirty or six on his own. <laughs> So, yeah, that's that alone time window is small, very small. You're going to so, start getting up at 3. Yeah, and, and go to bed at 4 in the afternoon. And right. They can just feed themselves dinner. They're fine. Um, okay, so I have two more questions. They're totally not alignment-related, but I'm very curious. What's your favorite book to read to your kids at night? 
That's a good question. We just we I did a lot of stuff from the library, so I, I change it up quite a bit. So I don't know if I have a favorite. I have a favorite favorite book. Um, we've been doing like Spanish word books. Um, um, the older one, who's almost three, he's very. He he just is very. He likes questions. He likes questions and answers. He likes work. He likes, he's like, again, he's like me in that way where he doesn't really, he doesn't enjoy doing something for the doing of it. It's more about the learning or the very, like the very structured end result of gaining something. So I try to avoid reading anything where there's a lot of questions or answers because he'll just, his mind will not shut off that way. But um, I recently have been reading My Father's Dragon. Ooh. Do you remember those books? They're 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 again they're from like the fifties, and I, I remember checking them out. I'm totally nostalgic when it comes to books. I'm a total book geek, fiend, nerd, however you want to say it. I read everything in both my public and my school library before I was nine years old, and my mom sent me to school with the Clan of the Cave Bear. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. When I was in second grade, and the teacher's like, "I don't think this is appropriate for you," and it's like, "Oh well, my mom's the one who gave it to me, so." I've been reading My Father's Dragon, which is a very simple story. I mean, it's it's really for like the seven or eight-year-old. So I've been reading that because he falls asleep. And then um, my daughter, she just likes, she still likes, you know, real, the simple little, the board books. So yeah. that's a long answer to say. It changes all the time. All right. And what was your favorite bedtime book when you were just a wee KDB? Um, Clan of the Cave Bear. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah. Um, I was, um, you know, I don't really remember any books from that part of my childhood, I remember all the stuff that I read later, but my most distinct memory is I used to read a lot of Trixie Belden when oh, I was yeah. maybe in um, second and third grade. And she was kind of like a, again, from the fifties, I have a bias towards books from the fifties. Um, she was like a pre Nancy drew. She was a little bit younger than Nancy drew, but kind of the same thing. And I, I remember one time staying up and reading and it was like 3am and I was hiding under my covers and I have, I have super thick, glasses and I had already taken my glasses off and I was holding the book one inch from my face and I would lay on my side. I have this technique of reading, which I still use today, which is I actually put my face on the book because that's how bad my vision is. I don't want to wear my glasses because it hurts to lay down when, with the side pieces, you know? Uh-huh. So I'd open the book so that I could lay my face on one cheek and then I would have the rest of the pages one inch from my eye and then I'd have to hold the book when I was reading the other side and I would do that until three in the morning. And then, um, I would be, I would beg out of school the next day. I'm like, I'm sick. I'd rub my face and my cheeks really hard to pretend I had a fever. I'm like, I can't go to school. I just want to stay home and read. I had a serious, serious reading problem. Yeah, I did too. I was the kid with the flashlight under the bed and I would turn it off when I'd hear my mom come close, her steps in the hallway so that she wouldn't know that I was, <laughs> well, you know, like I was sneaking drugs or something, but no, right. it was just a book. It was just a book. So books are uh, crap. Books, books are also books are, cracked. Books are cracked too. Just say no. Just yep. say when you're faking, when you are faking, I was faking illness. I'm faking disease. I'm pretty sure that's a sign of an addict. And for kids who want to fake a quick fever, whose moms just touch them on the head and going, oh, you're really hot. Go back to your room. All you do is you use friction. See, I was a, I was a biomechanist even back then as I would rub my cheeks. I would rub my hands really hard on my forehead and my cheeks to get, you know, the burn going. And then I immediately go to her and have her feel my face. That's that's who you're listening to, folks. That's who you're taking advice from. Did you ever fess up to her? No. Oh, oh God. okay. I hope she doesn't listen to this show then. This would be terrible. 
Okay. Um, well, thank you. That's, you know, we didn't even scrape the surface of our mailbag today, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, um, there's a lot more questions. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Danny. I and appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Katie Bowman's edutaining blog, katiesays.com. For books, online classes, downloads, and continuing educational courses with Katie, visit the Restorative Exercise Institute at restorativeexercise.com. Her most anticipated book, Move Your DNA, will be available in September 2014. You can learn more about Danny Hemet at moveyourbodybetter.com and dannyhemet.com.